Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Uh, well, good evening. I am not Pastor Eric. You know, they say you start to look alike after you've been married for so long, but thank God he keeps that goatee on so that we can be told, you know, y'all can tell the difference. Uh, Pastor Eric was asked tonight to preach to, um, at CFNI, they have what they call campus days, and it's where they invite all, um, I guess, high school students or anybody who is interested in attending Christ for the Nations to come. They stay on campus for a few days, and they get a feel for what CFNI is like to decide if they want to go there or not. Well, I feel like the more and more that he's there, they're kind of trying to make him the face of CFNI because he was asked to speak at the orientation this year as well, um, where they used to do like this encounter, what they called an encounter at the beginning of your, uh, for new students at Christ for the Nations. They used to have everybody come and it was just uh, a little bit, done a little bit in a sin-conscious way, I guess I could say. And they've, they've decided to change it and not focus on the sins of the students who were coming in. But now they wanted to open them up to a message of grace. And so this past fall, Eric spoke at that. And um, like, I can't remember how many people got filled with the Holy Spirit that day, but tons of them. And um, so now he's speaking to the students who are thinking about coming for the, to Christ for the Nations, which is awesome, uh, but he couldn't do it without your support. He couldn't do it without you all allowing him to go and minister in other places when he gets the opportunity. And it is his heart, it's our heart for the grace message to get outside of these walls. And so that's just one way that he's able to do that. And so I just want to say thank you all for being so understanding when he's gone and he's got the opportunity to do things like that. You know, he always prayerfully considers it when he's asked to do things like that um, because he doesn't like to be gone from the pulpit. But when given the opportunity to share the grace message that he's very passionate about, he's very grateful that you all are so understanding. And so tonight you get me, and I am, uh, yeah, somebody's excited about it. Uh, and I'm just going to stay right in, in his... Um, study on the book of Genesis, and he is finished with Abraham, so I'm going to jump into the life of Isaac, and I was somewhat familiar with the life of Isaac, but not to the level that I was once I studied, so hopefully you will learn something new about Isaac, but maybe even see a parallel or um, something that you can apply to your own life, because honestly what I learned um, is between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Isaac is definitely the one that is the most Christ-like. And seeing the parallels in his life, it just really surprised me because Abraham is the father of our faith, and we always look to his life for inspiration and faith matters. Um, but Isaac definitely has his own strengths, though he's not mentioned as much uh, in the Bible as, as some of the others. So I just want to pull out a few um, aspects of Isaac's life and, and speak with you about that tonight. And probably because I'm here tonight, not Pastor Eric, that means you'll get out of church early. That's always good news, right, Tommy? Yeah, Tommy, see? I knew he'd be excited about it. Um, but again, I just want to say thank you for, for being here and for supporting me and for supporting everything that Pastor Eric does. We love being a part of this body, and, and we love serving all of you, and, and we couldn't be more blessed um, as pastors. We couldn't have a better congregation, to be honest. Um, okay, we're going to start in Genesis 
And I'm going through a lot of scripture, but we'll just read through some of them. And the first aspect of Isaac's life that I want to bring out is, is Isaac the son. And um, Isaac, as you know, was a son that God promised to Abraham. And the backstory of that was that Abraham and Sarah were um, originally Abram and Sarai. And they were, uh, their names were changed to not only call them parents of one child, but parents of a multitude of nations. And then, uh, more specifically, God came to Isaac, I mean to Abraham, and promised him, because Sarah and Abraham did something that a lot of us do when we are waiting on a promise from God. They started making things happen on their own. And as you know, um, Ishmael came out of that just as you know, in your own life, you have some Ishmaels that may have come from the decisions that you've made that while waiting on a promise from God. But Genesis 18, I'm sorry, 17. I, I jumped ahead on my scriptures. Genesis 17, 17 said, and this is in response to um, God making the promise to Abraham. It says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I'm going to say the same thing if God comes to me and tells me that I'm about to have a child. But Abraham laughed. In Genesis 18, 10 through 12, it says, And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also. And this kind of laugh that Abraham and Sarah did in this response to God wasn't the kind of laugh that was a laugh full of joy. It was a, it was a mocking kind of laugh, like, ha, you got to be kidding me. Don't you know how old we are? Don't you know how old my womb is? There's no way that there's going to be a baby coming from me. But in Genesis 21, starting in verse 1, it says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the, time, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And the name Isaac means laughter. God changed that laughter that they had that was a mocking laughter, that it was a, are you kidding, I can't really believe for that laughter, to a laughter that was full of joy and the kind of laughter that you have when you're celebrating something that's come to pass that you've been believing for. But how many promises have you heard or maybe read in the scriptures and laughed at what it said about you or laughed what it said about your life? Because in the natural, it didn't reflect anything that was actually going on in your life. Or you just doubted. You thought that promise is for somebody else, maybe somebody who knows the word more or who stands in faith more. But God's promise for Sarah and for Abraham was fulfilled nonetheless. But I don't think that it's by accident, because when God came to Abraham and to Sarah and changed their names, from that day forward, they called each other those names. That small measure of faith 
Like, God, we think you're crazy and you don't know what you're talking about. There's no way we could have a child at our age. But they still called each other Abraham and Sarah. They still took on that name that God gave them that meant that they were going to be parents. And so that measure, small measure of faith, being able to say what God said about them, whether they believed it one bit or not. And that's a testimony to their lives. There's so many things that God says about you that you may or may not believe, but just start saying them. Just start saying them. Put those scriptures on your mirror or even just um, a, a sentence, a part of a promise. I am who God says I am. I am favored by God. I am blessed by God. And start getting that word in your mouth, no matter if your insides are laughing like Sarah's were. You could be laughing the whole time going, ha, huh, my life is so far from this, and it doesn't even look like there's the possibility of it. But Sarah considered her barren womb above God's promise. Yet, in this impossible circumstance, she delivered Isaac. Another woman by the name of Mary trusted God and witnessed a miraculous pregnancy as well. Isaiah 9.6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Of course, speaking of Jesus. And that's even a more miraculous story, as we know, because she didn't even know a man. And so... In that impossible situation that you're facing, trust God and start saying what it is that God says about your situation and see the promises of God come to pass in your life. And at one point, as we learned um, when studying Abraham's life, as you know, uh, it looked like that this promise would end up in a pile of ashes on the mountaintop. Do you remember when Abraham took Isaac to the mountaintop to sacrifice him? But the promise remained true. That promised child of Abraham lived because Abraham, even in this step of faith with his son, taking him up to sacrifice and believed God and his promise remained true. The second aspect of Isaac's life that I want to bring out is in Genesis chapter 24, and that's Isaac the spouse. And there's a very interesting story, and we'll read a little bit of it, but not all of it because it's pretty long. But in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham is getting quite a bit older, and he is, um, he's dwelling in a land that God gave him, but it's not the land that he is from. So he decides that he, before he dies, he wants to make sure that he has heirs because he's accumulated quite a fortune. And why do we do that? Why do we put up for ourselves when we're young. You know, we put away for our retirement and things like that, but we want to accumulate wealth to pass on to the other generations, right? But what if there's nobody that comes after you? If Isaac is it and he never marries, then there's no more generations to come. So I think Abraham's thinking, you know what? Before I die, I want to make sure that I'm going to have grandbabies. Whether I get to see him or not, Isaac needs to get married. So he sends out his head servant named Eleazar, Eliezer, Eliezer, is that how you say it? I'm asking you, the theologian. Um, he sends out Eliezer, and he, um, he wants him to go back to the land that he's from because he wants to marry within the same people. He wants Isaac to marry within the same people that he came from. Uh, so he sends Eliezer, and he makes him... Um, he makes him agree to a plan that you go there and you bring a wife back for Isaac. And he says, okay, well, what if I can't find a woman that will come back with me? Do you want me to take your son there so that he can get married? He says, no, no, 
we need to stay here because this is the land that God promised us, but I want him to marry somebody that's from our own tribe. So Eleazar sets out, and he, um, and he really wants to fulfill his master's wishes for his son. And we're going to start in verse 10 with this story. So Eleazar, he, he takes 10 of Abraham's camels, one for him to ride on, and nine are just loaded down with gifts. And it says, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's good were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. That's a good place to go. That's better than the bar, right? He's looking for a lady to bring back to Isaac. Now let it be said, or let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now, this isn't always the way to do things. Like, God, if I show up at the grocery store and there's a parking place, then I'll know you want me to buy the extra. You know, we, we can't always operate like this with God. But in this instance, this worked out for him. And it happened before he had finished speaking. That Mine's at the department store. God, if there's a good parking place, then I, I needed that new outfit. Just going to take that as a word from you. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, so she's Abraham's great niece, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. This is Eleazar asking for a drink. So she said, drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also and they until they have finished drinking. Now, camels can probably drink quite a bit of water. I think I read at one point reading this story that they could hold about 20 gallons of water apiece. Does that sound about right? Anybody know anything about camels? So you can imagine this woman who's very young drawing enough water to give 10 camels as much water as they could possibly drink. This is a woman that has good character. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? Okay, I'm not going to finish reading it, but a golden nose ring was the equivalent of earrings that we wear today. So basically he's just saying, I'm going to give you this gift for you to even tell me who you belong to, who are your people, and can we come and meet them? Do you have room for us to all uh, embark on your, your family's house? And she says, of course. So she runs to the house, and she tells mom and them, she says, I've met this guy, he's coming, he's got 10 camels, can we accommodate them? 
Well, they see her brother and her mother see the jewelry that he's already given her, and they say, oh, well, this is somebody that we would want to entertain, and they come to the house. He ends up telling him what he's there for. He goes through the whole story again about how I was believing God to find a wife for Isaac, and I showed up at the well, and this is what I told the Lord, and lo, and lo and behold, there was your daughter, Rebecca. And they said, oh, this sounds like a God thing. Yes, this is this would be good. And so they, they end up telling him, yes, you can have our daughter Rebecca, but why don't you let her stay with us for another 10 days or so? And they said, and Eleazar said, no, I'd really rather her go ahead and go with me now because my master's waiting to hear back from me and I really want to ensure that this deal is, is uh, concrete. And so um, he, he, uh, Rebecca, they call Rebecca down and they say, okay, Rebecca, this is what is happening. He wants you as a, a wife for his master's son. Would you, do you want to go ahead and go or wait for a while? And she said, no, I'll go. So um, Isaac, I mean, Eliezer took Rebekah and they headed back towards the land where Isaac and Abraham dwelt. Well, Isaac sees them coming. And as soon as he locks eyes on them and Rebekah sees Isaac, she says, okay, wait, is that the guy? And they say, yes, that's, that'll be uh, your husband. And so she puts her veil on. They go, they introduce her to Isaac. He takes her in his tent and she becomes his wife. Don't you wish it was that easy now? I mean, like, no caterer, no florist, nothing. You just, this is my wife, took her. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have two daughters. I wish it was that easy because I feel like it's going to cost me a lot of money to marry them off. But it's also a fairly romantic story. You know, if you take out, take out what we know in society today about like most girls, I think, wouldn't want their parents just saying, this is who you're going to marry, go. But it's just kind of a romantic story. But it's not only a picture of a beautiful union with, of a couple that seems like they're going to have a successful life together and came together in this miraculous way, but it's also a picture of, of how God sent his son and, or wanted to bring a bride in for his son. So he sent the Holy Spirit to go and to bring in people and to pull us into the kingdom of God as a bride for his son. And you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Eleazar had nine camels with him bearing gifts, reflective of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that are used for the Holy Spirit to bring us, bring in the bride of Christ. Um, another thing that I wanted to point out that I just saw a little bit earlier uh, when I was reading over my notes that I hadn't seen before, is that when Eleazar came to the, to the well and had the nine camels with all of the gifts on their backs, don't you know that that might have had a little bit of an influence of why Rebecca even gave him the attention that she gave him in the first place? Like, that's pretty intriguing. Whether you know what, she, what he plans to do with all that loot, he, here's a man who... who has drawn attention to himself. He's got nine camels piled with all of these treasures. And Proverbs 18.16 says that a man's gift makes room for him. And now these aren't just physical gifts. These are the gifts that God put on the inside of you. But when you show those gifts and when you're acting in those gifts and you use the gifts that God gave you, it's going to make room for you to minister to others. Just like I was saying with Mary Beth, when, when she's willing to step out there 
in faith and use the gifts that God has given her and even the things that God's told her to do, like laying on of hands of the sick, it will make room for you. People will want you in their presence when you're, when you're uh, functioning in the gifts of God. Amen? So I just found that interesting, that, that this man who had all of these gifts turned the attention of this young woman, and I believe that those gifts made a way for him in that situation. All right, on to the third aspect of Isaac's life that I want to point out is Isaac the sower. Isaac the sower. Isaac was dwelling in Gerar. Gerar? I don't know how you pronounce that. Gerar. And there was a famine in the land. Now, Genesis 26-2, pull that up. Now, when Abraham faced a famine, he needed to sow seed, but he left the land where the famine was, and he went to Egypt. So, following in his dad's footstep, that was Isaac's initial response to there being famine in the land where he was living. But God said to him, do not go to Egypt, live in the land of which I should tell you. Now, I think that generationally, God reveals more of himself to us generation by generation. Like, I hope that my, my kids have a greater revelation of who God is than I have, and that my grandkids even a greater revelation than that. And I see how generation after generation, like, we look back at the things that, that our parents and grandparents believed of God, and we think, oh man, they didn't have any, anywhere near the revelation that we have today of the goodness of God. And that's how it works. It's generationally. And where Abraham sowed seed and got a good harvest, he left the land that he was staying in to do it and found better soil to sow into. But God revealed himself to, to Isaac in a greater way and said, no, no, stay, stay where you are. And in, when you skip on down to verse 12, it says, Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Here was a man who prospered and became very prosperous, sowing into a land where there was a famine. Because what Isaac understood in this, whether he understood it before he sowed, he understood it after, is that the blessing was on him and not on the land that he was sowing into. The blessing is on you as a sower and not on the land that you're sowing into. 2 Corinthians 9.10 says that, that uh, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So not only will God multiply you because you are blessed, but he also gives you the seed to sow in the first place. So he gives you the seed And then as the sower who is blessed by God, when you sow it, you become blessed. God provides the seed and then blesses you for sowing it. How good is he? You know, years ago in the church, and this is just one of those things that is like the greater revelation as time goes by, you would hear things like, and some of you will remember this, like, be careful who you're sowing into. Make sure that wherever you're sowing, it's good ground. And they would really, it would really kind of put a little bit of fear in you Uh, as far as giving goes. Y'all remember hearing that? Like, make sure you're sowing into good ground. Don't just give to anybody. And I remember years ago, um, 
when Laurel was a baby, so about 18 years ago, we lived in Austin. And I used to have a lot of compassion for the people that you would see on the street, and I'd want to give them something. And when I would hear that in my head, that I would hear from church people, I would think, oh, they might not be good ground. I mean, they're probably going to buy alcohol or whatever with it. I mean, maybe they need food, like they're saying they need it, but gosh, what if I'm sowing into bad ground? I'm not, I'm going to not reap, or I'm going to reap a bad harvest, and you just, there was this fear attached to it, but now as a church, we have a greater revelation that it's not about the ground you're sowing into, it's about you being a sower, God has called you to be a giver, so sow, 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 because you are blessed by God, and there's no, no ground that can take that blessing from you, but they got that, they get that idea and that thinking from the parable in Luke 8, the parable of the sower. Well, just let's look at that real quick. Let's read part of that. In Luke 8, starting in verse 4, it says, And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. He said, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. Well, that's the ground I want to be sowing my seed in, right? And so this is what people were thinking. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now jump down to verse 11. And now... The parable is this, the seed in this parable is the word of God, and the ground that they're referring to is the hearers of the word of God. It says those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So doesn't even, they don't even get to the point of salvation. Maybe they've heard the gospel but didn't even really pay attention to it. Maybe it's the people on their phones at church not really listening to the word, No. <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, and then there's the ones on the rock who are those who they hear, they receive the word with joy, but they have no root or belief for a while in time of temptation fall away. These are the people that get real excited about the word when Pastor Eric preaches. They may clap the loudest. They may be real excited about what he's saying because it sounds great. Or maybe he just looks really good that day. But the minute they walk out the door, they never really give it another thought. They think, man, that was a good word. Man, I'm going to pat myself on the back for going to church today, and I'm off on my way. It just doesn't have, it doesn't have any uh, staying power. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, they go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. These are the people that go out and they've heard the word and they're ready to apply it to their lives and they're applying and they're applying, but then wait a minute, here comes that coworker that just really grates on my last nerve. And then the word just is choked out by the aggravation that comes up on the inside of them. Come on, all of you have been here before. I know I'm not the only one. You're really going to deal with those kids differently. You're not going to yell at them anymore and then that moment comes and it just happens. I'm sorry, am I preaching to myself too much tonight? But then the ones that fell on good ground are those who have heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And now the reason that I find it important to be in church anytime you get the opportunity is because the more you hear the word, the more you have the opportunity for it to soak in 
and for it to bear uh, fruit in your life so that your life will reflect the word that you're hearing. You won't walk out of the doors and forget what you heard. You won't walk out of the doors and let the first thing that gets on your nerves steal the word from you. It's, it goes deep, and you hear the word over and over and over again. There's certain things that Pastor Eric preaches that you hear them a lot, and those are the things that he wants you to get down into yourself so deep that that cannot be snatched out no matter what comes across your path. But that's where, that's where we as the church had gotten the idea that there was uh, different grounds that we were to sow into and make sure you're sowing into good ground. No, no, that's not for you. That's for the word and the hearers of the word. You are a sower. You are a giver. You're made in the image of God, and God was the ultimate giver, and you're to be a giver no matter where you are. You don't have to be concerned with the ground that you're sowing into, and that's amazing. God blesses you just as a sower. Okay, the fourth and final thing I want to bring out about Isaac is Isaac the sayer. And this is an interesting story. This is about the pronouncement that he makes over his son. But Isaac had two sons, um, Esau and Jacob. And some of you remember the story about when Esau and Jacob were born, that Jacob had a hold of Esau's heel. So Esau, they were twins, and when Esau was born, Jacob had a hold of his heel. And a lot of um, people believe, and it seems as though Jacob was trying to... uh, possibly get the, the firstborn birthright, even at that point. Because later on, we see in his life that it's really important to him. And to be the firstborn, it came with a birthright. But Esau, who actually was born first, didn't have any respect for that place that he held. He was the firstborn. The birthright was his, but he didn't care, seem to care anything about it. Where Jacob, it seems like even from in the womb, wanted to get a hold of that birthright. So later on, when they're a little bit older... Um, because Esau was a, what we would think is an outdoorsman. He worked outside, he worked with his hands, and therefore he was his father's favorite of the two. And then Jacob, he was a more, um, I don't remember how they put it in the Bible, but he, he was an indoors type of a person. He, he was with mom, so he ended up being mom's favorite. So, um, which just so y'all know, I don't have any favorites. Um, and no matter what my kids tell you. Um, but and at one point when they were uh, young men, Esau was working out in the field while Jacob was in the, in the house with mom. And Esau came in from working so hungry that he was just, he thought he was going to starve to death. I think he even said that, I'm starving to death, give me something to eat. Well, Jacob sees this as his opportunity to get a hold of that birthright that he's wanted since he was in the womb. And he says, okay, if you're so hungry, I will make you a bowl of stew for your birthright. Well, any man who that birthright meant anything to him would not have sold it off for a bowl of stew. But Esau says, okay, I'm starving. What's the birthright to me? Go ahead. It's yours. So they make this exchange. Jacob feeds Esau, and Esau gives away his birthright. Well, for some reason, um, I've looked through the scripture, and for some reason, Isaac apparently never knew that this, this exchange happened with his sons. There's never any acknowledgement that he knows that the birthright was given up because now it is rightfully Jacob's. It, it wasn't, it's not one of those things where 
you know, one kid tricked the other kid out of something, so you make them give it back because it was deceitful. No, he rightfully sold the birthright for a bowl of stew. So, but apparently their mother, Rebecca, knows about this, that this happened. So at the end, towards the end of Isaac's life, at this point, he is blind, and he is um, very advanced in years, and it's time for Isaac now to bless, to give the blessing of the birthright to his son. Well, because he doesn't know about that exchange that happened, he believes that he is going to give this, birth, this blessing to Esau. Again, for reasons that I don't know, they don't tell Isaac that this exchange took place. And so he calls, he calls Esau in, Isaac does, and he says, Son, I, I want you to go and kill something and, and make me a meal like you know I like and bring it to me, and I'm going to give you the blessing of the birthright. And so Esau says, yes, sir, and he goes out into the field to hunt for something because he was the hunter and to hunt for something to bring to his dad to eat. Well, in the meantime, Rebecca hears this conversation happen, and she says, Jacob, come here. She says, he's about to give the blessing of the birthright, but we know that that birthright is yours, so I'm going to bring in a goat, I'll prepare it, and then you can take it to your dad and pretend that you're Esau so that you get the blessing of the birthright. So that's what they do. And Jacob even goes through the motion of saying, well, I have smooth skin, and, and Esau is very hairy. Dad's going to know if he touches me that I'm not Esau. So they put on some sort of fur on him so that if his dad happens to touch him, that he won't know that it's not Esau. So they're kind of tricking him. That's, that's the part I don't really get. They're tricking him into giving the birthright to who it actually belongs to, but he wouldn't know that because he didn't know that exchange take place. So here's where we are in the story. In Genesis 27, verse 27, it says, And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field with the Lord, which the Lord has blessed, because he's wearing Esau's clothes. He thinks it's him. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. So basically in this blessing, he just gave Jacob a blessing to be over his brother Esau. And, and rightfully so, he bought the blessing with a bowl of stew, but Isaac did not know that. So the story goes on, and, and Esau is out, remembering killing something to bring back for a meal for his father. So he comes back to Isaac, and he's killed this uh, whatever, and he's made this meal, and he brings it to him. And Isaac says, whoa, 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 wait. Who are you? I just gave the blessing to who I thought was Esau. He said, no, you, it, it wasn't me. They realized that it was Jacob that he gave the blessing to. And Esau says, no, Dad, I was the firstborn. Give me the first." you know, the, the birthright blessing. And he says, well, I can't. He says, because I gave that blessing and it's not reversible. Numbers 23.20 says, Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. The blessing you hold as a covenant child of God, as an heir, just like Abraham was, 
cannot be reversed. There's no, no thing that you can do or nothing that any man can do to reverse the blessing of God on your life. You're walking in blessing, and no matter what you do or where you go, it is blessed because the blessing is on you. The blessing is on you as a son of God, and the blessing is on you as a sower of the seed that he provides for you. And so don't ever believe that you can walk out from underneath that blessing because no matter where you go, the place that you work is blessed simply because you're an employee there. Your family and your home is blessed because you live there. It doesn't matter who else lives in that house. It doesn't matter who, what's come against anybody else in your house. And by your house, I mean your family, not, not just who lives in your actual dwelling. If you have children that are grown, you can declare what the Word says, that all of my household shall be saved over your children, whether they're grown or not. Believe God for it. Believe God that everywhere you go, you are blessed and that things around you will be blessed simply because you're there. And so I hope you learned something tonight about the life of Isaac, but more than that, I hope that you can see a reflection of your life in, in the life of these men of faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We serve a God who is generational, and with each generation, his faithfulness is, uh, I won't say greater because it's not greater, but we have a greater revelation of his goodness. And so believe that for yourself and for your, the generations behind you. Let me pray over you tonight, and if there's anybody who has a, a specific prayer need, I'm going to be available up here after the service. Please come and let me pray with you. Um, I know, you know, we, we all face things as we go throughout the week, and there's nothing. I had someone come to me recently for prayer, and they, they were, like, ashamed that they were going through this. It was, a, it was a chaotic situation going on in their life, and they, it's almost like they didn't want to tell me, and I just want you to know that there's no shame in coming to the Lord. The, the Lord says to come boldly to his throne because he wants to be invited into your situation. He wants to see that situation turned around and you to walk in the blessing that he has for your life. Amen. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com. 